All right, let's get started this morning. It's good to have you out for session two of some Q&A. We have the questions prepared. Dennis and Laura aren't able to be here. Dennis sounded horrible. I don't think he's on his deathbed, but trust he'll be back with us next week. He did supply a couple of thoughts that I'll share in a moment. Um, but uh, let's dive right into some questions here. And uh, good to have... McClurg's ready to provide all the wisdom we need, so uh, you've seen how Jill turned out, so you might want to ask the McClurg's, right? Uh, any questions? All right. Question number six was, is it unbiblical for me not to spank or otherwise discipline my children? So let me turn that around and just eliminate the negatives. Is it biblical for me to spank or otherwise discipline my children? And I'm just going to start with yes, uh, but qualify, I don't know what you mean by otherwise discipline, so we're not going to address that. If you have some other notion than what we're talking about, um, it's probably good to talk about it. But let's, let's talk about what we call spanking uh, in the biblical language of Proverbs, and uh, perhaps you've heard of corporal punishment. Just know that that word means bodily and so we're talking about punishment that affects the body, all right? Uh, you're not grounded or standing in a corner like Willie in Little House on the Prairie. Uh, it's some kind of bodily reminder of the transgression. Uh, a foundation from Proverbs. And as you listen to these, realize uh, this is the beauty of the Proverbs. They're simple, um, kind of general statements, not a lot of fluff for discussion, though discussion may come biblically from other places, but just hear the, the stark wisdom that's here, and then we'll uh, explore some of the conversation. Proverbs 3, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So we have a foundation of love and delight that defines its inherent in discipline. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So love versus hate is the issue. That's a bit more weighty than, well, I'm just strict or I'm more permissive. Well, we'd all like to grab up one of those categories. The Bible calls it a love and hate balance. Proverbs twenty two fifteen, folly is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Imperative then is the definition, or is for us to find the definition of folly according to the Proverbs. It's not they spilled their milk because they were being goofy. Well, you were foolish, you're going to get it. Well, folly in the Proverbs is this anti-God do it my own way. That's where the rod comes in. Uh, and we can talk about that more in a moment. Proverbs 23, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, from the grave. So don't withhold the discipline. If you strike him, he's not going to die. And You've probably heard it before, but I'll use the same little joke. It might sound like they're going to die, right? Uh, and sometimes that's a problem that needs to be dealt with as well. 
if you strike him with the rod, contrary to the thought that, oh, this is going to be bad, this is going to be too hurtful. No, it's actually saying it's going to be good. Uh, what you're tempted to think is going to harm him, her, your relationship is actually rescuing, it's saving. Proverbs 29, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. To fail to discipline not only sets your child on a bad trajectory, but it's setting you up for the heartache of what the proverb says is a recompense. It's your due reward for neglecting God's wisdom and for believing the lie of the devil, especially in this realm of uh, being the authority in the home. Uh, so let's talk a little about uh, a yes answer to the question, is it biblical for me to spank my children? Obviously, books have been written, and you can read them, uh, but let's just at least get some thoughts going. Um, tell us about spanking. <laughs> um, well, let me just start by saying this is a huge topic. So, I mean, you could spend like probably three Sunday school hours on it because there are so many nuances to the whole topic of spanking and disciplining your children. So, um, so definitely these are kind of abbreviated thoughts. Um, but echoing what, what Adam said, definitely the Bible assumes that a parent loves his child and is loving his child by disciplining him and that that disciplining includes it includes the rod so um also let me say that however we're not in any way condoning child abuse um so i think in our culture especially it's important to acknowledge that we're not talking about causing great physical harm to your child it's not something that should be done in anger, not that you're grabbing a child and shaking them. There should be no violent outbursts happening while you're disciplining your child, no loss of control on the parent's side. It's, it's an act done in love, not in anger, no violence. Um, it can't be done out of personal embarrassment. You've been embarrassed by your child, so you're lashing out at them. That, that's not appropriate. Uh, instead, it should be calm, measured, it should be understood boundaries with your children, understood consequences of what is the consequence of these things, and then the, the spanking should be done in love. Um, so those are kind of brief thoughts on, on the whole topic. Um, a couple other things to say, one in my estimation, Parenting should largely be proactive and not reactive. So if you're proactively training your children and working with them, that should minimize the reactive uh, correctiveness that has to happen. Um, not, obviously, there will be times you have to react to something your child has done, but a lot of parenting should be proactive, not reactive. Um, and one other thing I would say is to deal with any disobediences quickly and firmly. Sometimes we as Christian parents feel we should be very patient with our children. So in being patient, we let them act out. We watch it for a while thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in the spirit. I'm patient. Um, and, and then as time goes on, the situation escalates. 
and there begins to be a feeling of anger and finally you're like, okay, I'm exasperated, I'm done with this, I'm gonna discipline you. And, and if instead you immediately, the first infraction brought the understood consequence to them, you stop that escalation from happening and you do allow it to be a, an instructive time, a profitable time, and again, something that's done in love. So once you've delivered the discipline, then move on happily with your life and with your child, it's over uh, and, and time to move on. So those are some thoughts I have. A uh, question for you all. In applying the wisdom of scripture to spanking and the roles of mom and dad, how, how did Dawn maybe, would you deal with the children at home when Clark's at work versus the old wait till your father gets home kind of thing. Do you, any thoughts on how you balance that day to day? I don't think we ever thought that um, dad's coming home should be a terror. So he would give the tools that I needed to take care of what I needed to take care of. If there was something that had ratcheted there was a particular rebellion or happening. Um, if someone was very reticent to do anything that day and I had dealt with every infraction, we might sit down with dad at night and say, dad, we've had a problem. And then he'll talk through it with us. But the day by the minute by minute was mine because I wanted their spirit to be free to move on. I didn't want them to be stuck under this cloud of you just wait for dad because I was tired of spanking. Um, that can happen. <laughs> but, and it, you know, and not that dad didn't sometimes, you know, especially if the infraction was at the end of the day and I'm right in the middle of making supper. There might be a moment where I would have said, you know, we're going to talk to dad when he comes home. But that was... To my memory, you know, I have two boys in here, so you can ask them, but I don't remember really ever saying to them, go march in the bedroom and just wait for your dad. I don't, we just didn't play it that way. No, and if that, if, if you're in that situation of being exhausted, maybe talk to some of these older parents to realize that they were there and there's just a lot of room for help there. Roy? There were a few times when the children were older, the mom did put it off and say, Dad, we'll deal with it. And that was more because when I was home, I did the discipline. And if there was a problem and we told them to go to the bedroom, they always tried to grab mom's hand to take her to the bedroom. Dad had a little firmer hand. And when it was just out of control and got to a certain point, mom put it back on me. But that was no, that's good to hear because I think there is a place for that headship. And, um, and yet, as we looked at last time, 1 Timothy 2, there's, there's a lot said about the women at home and the value of that role. Mrs. Pritt, I see you sitting here after raising charity as well as you did. Uh, and the other nine, uh, we should have had you up here joining us too. So <laughs> uh, good to have you with us. Um, yeah, Jim, did you have a question or comment? Not really important. Uh, I think that it's really important that both parents are together on, on the kids. Uh, 
and my oldest son was younger, I would go over to church and I would come home. And my wife would say, he doesn't ask this and this, and you need to discipline him. Well, that went on for a while. But then I, you know, I told her, I said, you know, I'm not going to walk in the door every night and be the bad guy. <laughs> she said, well, I have to be the bad guy for today. And I said, well, not really, because if you was the bad guy for today, I would have to be the bad guy for tonight. I said, your problem is, is you tell him not to do something. Two seconds later, he's still doing it. And you ignore it for a while, and for some maybe you see it again, but you don't never really stop it. Hmm. I said, you know, when I tell him to do something, he minds me. So we went for a couple of weeks for, uh, I wouldn't discipline him at all uh, when I get home at work. But when I see him doing something, I would nudge her and, and point at it. And then when she finally realized what, what I was saying was true, then she started making him do what she said. She didn't let him two minutes later continue on doing it. And uh, with no more problems. So, I think it's really important. You see a lot of kids, they know what they can get by with. And they'll play the parents against each other. Uh, Deb and I, we never, we never allowed that. If she told the boys no, Andrew, no, they didn't come to me and ask to do whatever it was. So I think that the parents have to be together on all parts of yeah, so if you didn't catch all that, the idea of the parents being together on how this is going to unfold, um, resolve those issues behind closed doors, and, and you know, tackle the, the issues together. Uh, and then maybe a reminder about consistency, too. And, and I would add, you know, we use that language of being the bad guy, you know, oh, wait till your father gets home, as if he's the the evil one to inflict all the pain. Uh, just remember, we're all the good guys, all right? Uh, we're standing in God's place, and one of the texts that the Clemens suggested was Hebrews 12, that the Lord chastens those who are his children, the ones he loves. And so um, he's not the bad guy. That's very much the good guy. Discipline is for our good. It steers us back to godliness. Roy? We had a, a procedure learning from somebody else and our steps were different than his. There was a, a set rhythm to discipline a session. And I honestly wouldn't mind it had he put it off to me coming home because the last step usually in our discipline was the spanking and then expressing physical affection. And there's nothing more affectionate than a child who has been disciplined, released from their guilt, there's a grateful heart and a willingness to be loving that you don't get any other time. Well, that's good. Uh, it's a good reminder of the purpose of it. Uh, to Clark's point about abuse, let me just steer you to a couple thoughts on the matter of injury versus pain. Uh, so injury would be like damage to the body. It's going to produce more of the, a physical response, like a big welt across the back or a bruise because you grabbed their arm or something. Uh, those would be indications that it's not being done well. 
so we'll put that in the category of injury. We're not looking to injure, um, but don't be afraid of the idea of pain. That's the language of Proverbs, a rod, which doesn't have to be a two by four. It could be as small as a stick in the Hebrew as well. Um, and you, you can picture a switch off a, a wispy bush, and if you whip that thing, you hear it cut through the air and make that sound. Well, you know, you've played with as kids or something. That little twitch hits you, and it stings like crazy. Uh, pain is one thing. Injury is another. And the idea here is with, with, with the rod, as Proverbs defines it, um, there's that little bit of pain that reminds a, a young brain, that's a bad consequence. I'd like to avoid that. Um, and this is why... In most cases, I think it's right that the spanking is generally in those younger years uh, because the mind functions well on these simple kind of responses. Uh, as they get older, that's, you know, they're going to be able to take that pain a little better and deal with it, and they're not going to care to be spanked when they're 13 years old in most cases, I would think. So our experiences has been, has been if you'll believe God's word and do this in the younger years, you know, by God's grace, you can, you can move out of that stage where you feel like, how many times is this going to happen today? Um, and so bear that in mind, especially because abuse is rampant. And, and years ago, we, we experienced a situation in the church that had to be dealt with uh, in some abusive behavior. Uh, we're not looking to injure, but we're looking to let mild pain, and we all understand that, you know, our chubby little backsides are probably a good place to absorb a little bit of pain and the sting goes away pretty quickly. So um, think this through. If, if there's some aversion in you to, I could never do that to my child, I think we need to come to grips with how the scripture informs us about how God chastens us with hardships at times to get back to where we need to be and how we can do that for our children. And I would add too that uh, Paul Tripp adds, I, I don't remember if it's in uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart or one of his other books, but he, he contrasts correction and discipline a little bit. Uh, and, he, and he says, you will often be correcting behavior that you don't want to see. Uh, you know, when they get goofy and spill their drink at the table, that, that's going to need correction. Um, but not all behavior that you don't like needs Discipline, at least proper discipline as we're defining it here. That should be reserved for that defiance, the folly of Proverbs. The fool does it his way. The wise hears the instruction that God has. So when they're in rebellion against your authority given by God, then we're, we're looking to discipline. But there's so much that goes on, the selfishness and you know unkindness that at first can be corrective and and I think you should really hear the way the McClurgs worded that, to, to, to be active, proactive in the instruction, admonition of the Lord. Um, and we could add there, corrective at times. When it gets to the place of they know what you're saying and defy that, then I think we're in the realm of discipline. Any other questions or comments? We can't get too, uh-oh. David wants to dispute something, I think. <laughs> uh, I was just listening to, uh, when you read the original question, and this, wasn't, this particular one wasn't what I submitted, but um, I think there's something to the double negative 
Am I sinning to not spank? Um, I need to get a drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I would say yes. I mean, when you look at a couple of these proverbs, Proverbs twenty-three, thirteen: Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. So, I think that's pretty, pretty instructive. Do not withhold it. Um, and obviously, the word discipline here is referring to some kind of physical implement because the next statement is, if you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul. Um, and then Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So I think those two specifically address withholding and not doing it and saying, no, you, you do have to at times spank your child. It's not I kinda, an option not to. Yeah, and I kind of think this too, we, we get ourselves into a thought process of, but I have spanked. And the expected or desired behavior has not been forthcoming. So I'm not going to spank. I don't want to spank this. But I'm under a higher order than my own inclinations. And that doesn't mean spanking is the only way. We've talked about that already. But when I have a defined, somebody crossed the known barrier, the line, even I had a child that I would spank her, and she would say to me as we would go to the bedroom, you know, this isn't going to help me. And so I would spank her, and I would look for that affection, and she would roll to the other side of the bed and say, it didn't help me. I'm like... That's okay, but the second one will. So, <laughs> and so she would come over and we'd have that second spanking. And I had several other kids that they were like, I don't know why you keep doing this. It's not helping me. It's not helping me. It's just really grumpy. It's like, well, I'm doing this because I have marching orders and God's told me to. So whether you get in line or not, you still get this spanking. And the other thought that came to my mind is, we got to be really careful also that we don't um, get a little bit lazy. Um, it's never convenient to spank. It's never convenient. It's not convenient here at church if your child is disobedient. But this is your space. You're the parent. It's not convenient making the meal. It's not convenient mowing the yard. It's not convenient. Really, you just don't have a convenient moment to spank your child because life's happening. Well, I agree. Uh, John? As far as withholding discipline, the biblical story I, that comes to mind is Absalom and David. <coughs> Absalom was rebelling against his father and he was at the gate telling people how he would do things. David refused to address it. He surely knew mm -hmm. what was going on. And it didn't end well for Absalom. Right. So if David had been faithful in the spirit of the Lord at his duty, he may have had an opportunity to correct that. Yeah. Yeah, the story of Absalom rebelling against David uh, and, and provoked by David's lack of dealing with the clear sin issue, uh, Amnon, um, reminds us that we can provoke our children uh, in the language of Ephesians 6, um, by not disciplining, by not carrying out justice, by not being consistent, by not being righteous. Uh, 
so is it unbiblical not to spank? We're saying, yes, it is. You, you, would, be, you would be abandoning the wisdom of Proverbs for some other tradition of man, philosophy, and, and you'd, you'd have to explain that uh, and, and measure that against what God has said to really come to a clear contrast. What am I believing uh, about me, about my child, about our relationship? Um, I, I guess I'm, I can't say that there isn't some case that, well, I, I know of a case of a child that's been bedridden all their lives with cerebral palsy and handicapped in mental, physical ways. Maybe she never got swatted on the hand or anything. I I don't know. I'm just saying it would be really rare that there wouldn't be some kind of discipline that could be learned. Uh, I mean, my brother Mark wouldn't be here at church with his clothes on, at least, um, if there hadn't been discipline. for a long time, you know, they'd tape his pants on to keep him on because he wouldn't keep clothes on. So there had to be some kind of discipline, and it was learned. And so it's going to be different, and your child may be strong-willed. Your child may have learning disabilities, but you need to hear the wisdom of Scripture and know God has said something that, that applies to, to all of these scenarios of fathers and mothers parenting your children. So I guess I just don't want to say there's never, you know, some conversation to be had, but there's really not a conversation to be had about is God's word true and right for us. All right, provoking hands raisings. Uh, Ethan, and then Brooks, and we'll work our way across. <laughs> that verse you mentioned a second ago, about a few minutes ago, saying that you spare the rod of your child. It's a clear definition of what hatred is. No, that, that's really helpful because these, these terms are, that's the battlefield. What, what do you mean by that? And, and we all know that kind of language is, it's weighty. It, it, it pressures us to, to cave in because um, we're being told we, we hate people if we don't accept and endorse you know, their lifestyle in all kinds of ways. And that, that pressures us because we hear love and hate and we don't want to be hateful. Well, that's why we come to the Word and, and take God's definitions for these things. Uh, Brooks, you had a question. Yeah, so uh, Casey and I, everybody knows, like, the, you know, the stubborn child, the strong-willed child, probably is going to be multiple times when they, when they act foolish. Um, and one of the things that I was thinking about is, like, everybody has such a different spirit and disposition. One of our kids definitely that a lot. And then the other one, like if you even look at it the wrong way, you can crush her spirit. And um, like if I even sternly get on her with my words, she like, she just 
crumbles. And uh, I don't know if, like, I just wanted to know if you think that that one is also needed a physical, you know, punishment as well, even though you can get onto them with your words. And is that supposed to be, is that scripture supposed to be taken, like, symbolically? Like, hey, I'm bringing the rod upon you through this? Or is it, like, actually, like, We had a daughter that did that, um, Sarah. She was my, I would look at her and go, Sarah Elizabeth. I'm so sorry, Mommy, I'm so sorry. I'm just ball and ball and ball. But in retrospect, part of that was, I don't want to get spanked. Part of that really, she actually is one of the tenderest in the family, in her spirit, still as an adult. But... I did withhold the spanking that she needed. She did cross the boundary. And I said the same thing to her that I would have said to Jonathan, Sarah, Elizabeth, which my other kids would have gone, yeah, <laughs> you know, and start walking to the bedroom. And she's, she's running toward me. She's running toward me, wrapping her arms around me and bawling and bawling. And in the moment, I fell for it because I was thinking, oh, that's really what I want is a broken spirit and a contrite heart, and that's all I really wanted. Well, did I really get what I wanted? Not necessarily, because she was evading the consequence every other child in the family received from breaking. Now, I didn't have to spank her. She did get spanked. But there were many of those moments that I wish I would have gone back and said, wait a minute, she's still under that same umbrella of you broke the rule, very delineate, you know, definitive. It was very defiant. And though I could create tears by a firm look, I still think she needed a spanking for her own comfort that this is solid, you know, um, anyway, that's my two cents. Is that helpful? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, it's, I think there's a, a, a fine line, between, and I'm not saying it, I'm just saying, like, I think there's a fine line between crushing the kid's spirit and correcting the Yeah. I think wrestling with it is is a lot of the battle. I just just to know and and understand how your kids are, to be walking in the spirit and know, okay, I, I might not get it exactly right every time, but you know, by God's grace, you know, they're not even gonna remember these early years, you know, when you talk to kids. Yeah. So you're doing what's right and maybe sometime you're too merciful, um, but you're trying to get it right okay, we're imperfect parents and we trust God with it. Sometimes you, you might discipline and think, oh man, I don't want to crush this. Well, I think building on what Roy and even that scenario Dawn had with her daughter, if you're, if you're loving them and saying, listen, God has told me to do this because you lied or you, you know, clearly were disobedient. Uh, so, yeah, I wish there was some exact answer for if they do it this much or this often, you know, then it's the spanking. Otherwise, you can give the look and, you know, melt them to pieces, um, 
it's just not that simple, but I, I really appreciate you trying to get it right. All right, uh, Roy. Paul. Can I have to think of one who's going to be having the most spanking as well? If you're letting one off with transgressions, that does not reflect God's justice well. Mm. Uh, the other one is going to be spanked a lot. And you don't want to build a resentment. You want to be, they understand that the other isn't maybe the same way that they are. Go back to an earlier point that was going said, I remember uh, one of our children, we had to spay five to seven nights every day for the same things for years. And we tried this, we tried that, we tried the other. And I remember distinctly the conversation that Patty and I had. He said, nothing works. If we're going to fail, let's fail to our God. <laughs> and I remember uh, Five, I don't know, five to seven year old child meeting me at the front door saying, Yeah, I only got spent twice today. <laughs> Success. But you're talking five to seven years. Yeah. So if you hear people say things like, we, We're trying that and it doesn't work, then here's the wisdom of experience that says, Hey, if you're going to fail or feel like you are, at least fail doing what God said to do. Um, it just reminds us there's a lot of faith here. It's not a magic wand, literally that paddle. Uh, it, it's believing that God's going to use this. Um, so, I, uh, Paul? Oh, wait. Okay. You know, I saw you, I saw you smiling, but I, I can pick on David or your brothers back there, but now we know. Uh, Paul? I was just going to say that for... One, we've got, we've got a good collection of kids, so, but I mean, obviously the jury's still out in the sense of what the trajectory will be in their lives. But um, one thing that's been helpful for me, and this might be related somewhat to what you're saying, but is that um, how does God and Christ deal with sin? And that's been helpful for me with our kids who have been, you know, very outwardly belligerent in their disobedience versus those who just melt. And that when I recognize that I am, I am depicting for them the seriousness of sin and the necessity for atonement through Christ, that discipline with the rod <laughs> becomes more imperative even with this child who is weepy and very apologetic and, and and naturally, just a, a gentler spirit. Like, I'm not diminishing that. But for me to fail to discipline in those moments um, is actually a reflection of the justice that's poured out on Christ at the cross for sin. And to fail to do that diminishes their need for a redeemer. Um, and that has been, that's been helpful for me to, to navigate through that. And obviously, Different kids need different levels of, of intensity is the word that comes to mind. With their discipline, um, but the need for fulfilling that biblical mandate to discipline is not diminished because it's a reflection of Christ on the cross. Yeah. On the flip side of that, same thing to Ted Tripp in uh, shepherding a, a child's heart. 
he said something that was really convicting for me, um, and still is. Uh, he said something to the effect of that when you are disciplining your children, it should never be punitive, it should be instructive. And for me, uh, my, my sin default is anger and discipline. That's where, that's where I'm going to go. You've broken this, and I'm mad at you, and here comes the punitive discipline. Um, and, and Ted Tripp says as much as well that when, when nothing may change, you may still discipline the exact same way. You just won't be doing it in anger. And you have to be asking, what is the point of this? Am I spanking you to let you know that you violated something and daddy's really mad? Or am I disciplining you to let you know this is the way, walk in it? Am I disciplining you to let you know that daddy cares about you and this is instructive for your soul because in our house we serve Christ and these are the rules of that house, but these rules are intended to guide you towards life and godliness and peace and joy. Um, I mean, I, I can think of just yesterday failing to do exactly that. So I'm not saying this from some high position other than just, it was a helpful quote that I'm still convinced by. Good. Uh, anyone else that I missed? Yeah, Alan? Yeah, be encouraged by that ambassador principle. Uh, your kids are going to give an account to you for 18 years. You know, after that, you can't take their car away and send them to their room and all. They're, they don't have to listen to you, but they do have to give an account to God eternally. So you stand in this place of, of showing them. How do you say that, Don? Your marching orders or whatever. God's told you, I have, I have to do this. Um, and so... You're kind of the middleman. It's like, if they don't like it, tell them, hey, don't shoot the messenger. Like, God, I'm standing in the place of God doing this. It's his authority. Um, that'll at least take the pressure off. It's not up to you to, to fix or to make them turn out right. You bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and, and by faith, you point them to God. Jared? 
It's all your hand. Addressing that versus very specifically the rod, I think that's a unique distinction. My dad made the point many years ago that at all possible, don't use your hand, but use something. There's a, a layer of abstraction there. And I think it's very important so that the child is able to understand love. Uh, and choose that rod wisely, because if they accidentally put their hand back there, you know, you don't want to cause damage to the hand. Maybe tape a couple paint sticks together, and that's easy to carry, especially in public places today. You know, you don't want to be carrying around a giant board. Oh, this is our spending pile. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, you've heard of the glue sticks, right? Uh, yeah. All these weapons concealed in purses, you know. That <laughs> so, no, uh, good thoughts. Anyone else? All right, Roy, yep. You needed an instrument of correction. I have provided numerous of those to the bodies. <laughs> yes. Just don't tell your children where you got your corrective stick or uh, they might avoid Roy. Jonathan, personal anecdote here? Or? <laughs> uh, I was thinking of one other biblical kind of account of uh, a parent not doing what they're supposed to do because of the child, you know, Eli. Mm. And God's judgment on Eli. Yes, he judges the sons, but he judges Eli for not correcting his sons, for not making them adhere to God's rules. Yep. Yeah, on the whole family, indeed. No, that's good. Um, if nothing else, amidst all the kind of specifics, come back to the core that God says he loves us, and so he's not going to let us self-destruct in our ways, our own ways. So he curbs us, he chastens us back to godliness. You don't want your kid throwing the tantrum that he just threw, you know, on the streets of Minneapolis, burning the city down because he never learned that I don't get to just lash out and do whatever I want to do. And not every disobedient child is going to be a rioter, but it's the same, it's the same spirit. The same spirit of an 18-month-old that's swatting at your face because you're telling him to sit still or don't do that or leave my glasses alone is the spirit of the age that I get what I want, and nobody should tell me otherwise. So that's the battle. Uh, we're up against this sin nature, and uh, we could talk about that some more, but I think we need to hit one more question, and I need to be done by 10. Otherwise, I'm scared. Last week, Mark Dubois poked his head in and was like, stop, kids are out here. So I'm kind of like living in fear that I'm going to see a face in the window. This was not a specific question. It just said topic. Unsaved adult children, specifically ones not raised in a Christian home. So if you have a specific question that you want to follow up with afterwards, we'd be glad to talk more. But any general thoughts you had here, Clark, uh, without much direction? Um, yeah, so um, I thought about that for a minute. So unsaved adult children, specifically ones not raised in a Christian home. So I took this liberty to uh, interpret that to mean that this uh, parent was not a believer when they had children they became a believer when they were older so now they have adult unsaved adult children who were not raised in a christian home because otherwise if they 
were believers while the children were being raised, they would have been raised in a Christian home. Um, so assuming that's the case, um, I just had a couple of things to think about. Definitely pray for your unsaved adult children. Um, pray that the Lord would, would convict them, love them. Share what changed in you. So if you have now come to the Lord, share with your child what, what happened. What, what, why are you different now? Uh, apologize for specific wrongs. Um, be honest about failures that were in your past. Be prepared that they may not be able to hear you if you apologize to them. But come forward to them if you've wronged them in any way and, and, and make it right with them as much as you are able to. Um, continue to speak truth to them. Don't condone their sin. Um, but love them. Um, make sure you walk in a way that's worthy of Christ. Walk your talk before them. Not just hollow words coming toward them, but, but, but walk before them uh, in righteousness. And don't allow guilt to keep you from serving the Lord with joy. So if you have guilt about how you raised this child in the past and now you're seeing them as an adult child and you realize they weren't given the many benefits that are there from being raised in a Christian home, um, leave that in, in the Lord's hands. Um, ask the Lord to forgive you for any wrongs you've done to that child. Realize that you're forgiven and go forward. Enjoy serving the Lord before your unsaved adult children. So my thoughts no I was just clicking off my notes as well uh, I had pray the gospel pray for their repentance and faith Luke 18 the persistent widow uh, Matthew 7 ask seek knock uh, live the gospel love patiently yet firmly you don't have to cooperate or condone sinful behavior but you don't have to be timid about living the Christian life either you don't walk on eggshells when you're around them um, speak the gospel so if you want to say God was good and provided such and such, don't change your language because they don't believe in God. Uh, and engage their questions and critiques with, I call it, short truth. You don't have to have prolonged debates and always bringing up an issue, but if they ask a question, give them, give them truth. Uh, faith comes by hearing that truth. And then apply the gospel. For parental failures, believe that God's promise of forgiveness uh, is true. Um, we're, we're not being faith-filled when we stew in the guilt of past that we've confessed and found God's forgiveness for. He is faithful and just to forgive. So stop assuming that he hasn't when he says he has. Um, so apply the gospel to yourself and then rest in God's providence. He's brought you to where you are in your, in your life, and you may wish that you could go back and do it over again, whether it's parenting or a whole host of other decisions. We've all said that, but we can't. What we can do is lean into grace. This is what God says he does for us uh, in so many situations, including our salvation, when we can't do it for ourselves. Uh, I saw a hand. Uh, Shelly. My mom's husband, uh, who passed away mm -hmm. in December, uh, he, he became a Christian as an adult, and he has raised children on his own as a single parent for years, and uh, <laughs> he, you know, constantly as an adult would 
forgiveness or things that you may have done before. Quite right. That's good to hear. Uh, it reminds us of uh, God's continued work in our lives as parents, in the lives of our kids, be it in these long days of parenting little ones or the equally hard days. There's, there's a number of families in our church that are praying for really lost adult children. Uh, so what do we do? Uh, can't go back. Um, and so I look to the hills. From whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, uh, and he's a God of grace. So, Heavenly Father, would you help us even this week uh, in our parenting, our grandparenting, uh, our loving of one another as church members who can weigh in with their influence of example and word to the children that will, will swarm this building in the next hour. Uh, thank you for the heritage, the gift of children. Uh, give us courage and the faith to believe your words about how to stand in the gap on their behalf, uh, to represent you well in our parenting. Uh, we need your help with this, and yet your word promises it. Uh, we believe that. And so by your grace, we'll live obediently and courageously as parents this week uh, so that Jesus may be seen in our homes, we pray. In his name, amen.